Thanks for being back with us for another episode of QIRadio.com. I am your host, Susie. And I am your host, Screamish Joy. And we're here. We're queer. Let's talk Let's about, talk about it. it. <laughs> Let's, interview, Let's introduce our guest, Screamish. Awesome. So today we are really excited to have Erin Sweener on with us. And she is currently serving her first term in the Texas House of Representatives and running to claim her second term for that same position. Yes. And she's representing uh, Hayes in Blanco County. Uh, she's a fifth generation Texan author, educator, and conservationist. And um, the one thing that I thought was also just side note fascinating is she is a three-time Jeopardy champion, which... <laughs> Ah, I love Jeopardy and have yeah. been, yes, I, I literally play, pray for Alex Trebek like every single day. Okay. <laughs> like, so welcome, Erin. Thank you so much, uh, Representative Zwiener, for being on our show. We're, we're really yes, grateful to have you here. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And let me clear something up. It is fine for me to be Erin. I do not need the title all the time. To say it is actually a very challenging millennial issue to be in a legislature and keeping rem or remembering to call people representative and senator and I chair. Just to throw it in one time just to make sure yeah. we had that like uh, formal statement. But yes, <laughs> I, we appreciate that, Aaron. <laughs> yeah, I'm really glad to be though. here. Like, thanks for having me. <laughs> you are, 100%. You're, you're really so. How's it going? I, yeah, I mean, I know you're right in the midst of everything and, um, you know, running, running, working a hard campaign. I just, oh my God, I love your new commercial. I was, I was talking to, <laughs> I don't know if it's new, but I just saw it today and it brought me back to my childhood of mucking out stalls <laughs> in, a small, <laughs> in a small Texas town. And I thought, this is the perfect analogy. I mean, being, <laughs> I just, it was, it was beautiful. So how are you doing? Can you tell us a little bit about what's going on and where you're at? Where, where things are going right yeah, now. Yeah, I'm, I'm doing all right. Uh, things are definitely hectic. Um, I'm running from one virtual room to another to meet folks. It's it's very interesting campaigning during the pandemic because it means we're, we're mostly meeting folks virtually, at least on the Democratic side that has decided that we care about safety. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, it, it's interesting. I was realizing today how much I kind of miss the drive time between events as being like, downtime to you know I mean, I mean my district is gorgeous i represent the hill country yeah um my humble true. opinion prettiest district in texas i've probably had a few members who would fight me over that um but i i miss driving and getting to see the country and getting to see folks in person um but we're still very busy we're still connecting with the voters and and that's what's really important that's awesome. um i'm glad you like the ad <laughs> it's it's very um fun to kind of let my horsey side hang out a little bit more. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, you know, we, it resonated with a dirty job. Politics is a dirty job. Part of what resonated with me so strongly was the fact that, you know, we're sitting here, we're on queer invasion radio and obviously, you know, we're, we we're here for the queer community and, you know, we were, I was raised, both me and Susie both, but I'll speak for myself, you know, I was raised in a really conservative community. I was raised by um, somebody who, you know, instilled agricultural values in me. I, you know, we had, I, I was, I, I'm, like I said, I mucked out stalls and, 
And I grew up with these values that I really hold dear. And somehow I grew up to be this like radical liberal that I don't even understand. Like, you know, I, I and, and so I just, for me, like that juxtaposition, like really weighed strong, you know, that um, it just made, it literally made me just stop and think like, what do all these words even mean? You know, like it, it just, to, I, I felt like it was a strong message. It really resonated for a lot of reasons with me. Well, they, I mean, I feel like there's this juxtaposition between rural and progressive that's relatively recent. Um, mm. You know, LBJ is from rural Texas, our, one yeah. of our Texas presidents, who's the person who made Medicaid a thing in yeah. the first place for right. us to be fighting over expansion of now. I mean, our last really successful president was from the rural or really successive, successful progressive president that moved giant policy proposals forward was from rural Texas Hill Country, yeah. Lyndon Baines Johnson. I mean, he uh, had his plan for the Great Society and advanced it forward. He also helped electrify rural America. I mean, mm -hmm. rural America has always benefited from progressive policies. And at some point, you know, the conservative movement movement kind of drummed up this lie, made this us first them narrative. And I think it's one of the tasks of you know, my generation and the one after me to help cut through that and start to talk about the policies that really help folks who live in those communities. I, I mean, realistically, you know, if I look at that at its base, I, I just say that religion was taken and utilized against those communities to create fear in a way that took them away from, you know, I mean, again, separation of church and state, looking at the issues and the policies but I feel like the conservative party, the Republican party, just utilized that and maybe some other things as tools to really create that manipulation. And I was raised in a very religious community. I mean, I was raised Southern Baptist, you know, and went to church literally religiously um, and, and, and felt that I was, you know, being raised in, in, a, in a loving community until all of a sudden it didn't feel that way. <laughs> and so, you know, and I think a lot of us, you know, through, you know, kind of experience this path, like through whatever, you know, liberalism or conservatism, to, you know, but again, it just, it just struck me as more like these words have sort of lost their meaning. They sort of, you know, they're being used against us in ways that don't even make sense anymore. And as a community, I think, you know, we, we have to, we have to find a way to kind of speak through that riddle almost it's like it's become almost like a riddle of communication yeah i you're you're really making me want to shout out this this nonprofit. um so i live in driftwood texas yes shout um, out a nonprofit, there, please there's this awesome nonprofit called i'm from driftwood um that was founded wow. by a young man nathan mansky and um he and i got to meet at trip fest last year and he was like i'm so excited there's a queer representative from <laughs> driftwood now um but, but the whole point of this group is to point out that like queer people are from everywhere i mean there yes. are some stereotypes about queer communities being in cities and that's not because it's where all queer people were born it's because it's where queer people created safe spaces for their communities but you know, I mean, call me idealistic, say I have stars in my eyes, but I'd like the whole damn country to be a safe space to be born <laughs> queer. Sure, um, sure. And I would like every single community to be affirming. And I think that's some of the work we're doing now is helping expand, um, expand that safety. I mean, I, so much of what motivates me, especially when looking at LGBTQ work is our queer youth who 
oftentimes really struggle, particularly if they are from a rural area or a smaller town to find acceptance in their community or from their families. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the big work we're in right now is making sure that all of those children grow up um, where somebody is there to affirm them. Absolutely. I agree with that. And and it was one of the, you know, Susie and I, when we were talking, talking about having you on the show, just that decision to run as an open queer candidate and kind of what led you to make, you know, because you, you could have involved yourself, you could have afforded yourself into the process and gone out and kind of done it in a subversive way, but, you know, you chose to do it in a very open way. And can you just talk a little bit about, you know, making that decision and maybe some of the challenges or the benefits of, of really doing that for yourself and, and for the community as well? Yeah, I, I feel like I've had, I, I don't know how unusual of an experience it is, but definitely not sort of the stereotypical experience of a queer candidate. And a lot of that is because, you know, I am bisexual. Um, I am married to a man. Mm-hmm. I was pregnant on the campaign trail. We were a very heteronormative picture. Sure. Um, and that was sort of the loudest thing was that mm-hmm. I was I was a pregnant candidate and then a candidate with a newborn. Um, and you know, I, I remember thinking about it early on, and it actually hadn't been that long since I'd come out to my family either. And so I was at this space where I'm like, wow, there's, I, I want to run for office. There's no real evidence that I'm queer, you know, like there wasn't, there weren't <laughs> pictures that would surface or whatnot. Sure, no, like that's legitimate. I, I, I mean, it was something, yeah. yeah, I mean, it was something I very much could have tucked back away. Um, and you know, I, I thought about it. I mean, I won't lie. Like the, the conversation was had of like, what choice am I going to make here? Um, and, um, you know, so much of it for me came back to the reason I came out in the first place. I haven't told this story a lot, but my, um, I, that summer was living with my grandmother who was, oh shoot. Well, she's 92 now. So she was like 89 at the time. And I was helping her after a fall and we were watching the news. It was the middle of the presidential election. And she, there's something came up with Hillary Clinton. She went, ah, I don't like Hillary Clinton. She's a lesbian. (laughs) And I went, first of all, you have zero evidence for that fact. (laughs) Like like there's some pretty good counter evidence. Right. um, (laughs) That she's a lesbian. Like I'm pretty certain Hillary is attracted to men. Um, Perhaps she's bi or pan. I don't know, but, but pretty good evidence. She's not a lesbian, but more importantly, so what? Right. Like tell me, so what grandmother, why does this matter? And she just, well, I just wouldn't want somebody like that. I wouldn't want something like that. And now my grandmother and I have been close my entire life. She's been one of my biggest fans and she, um, and so, you know, we had this conversation for a little bit and at some point I went, you know, grandmother, I'm bisexual. I'm attracted to women too. Do you think I shouldn't be able to hold office? Mm. And Good she just kind of looked at me and like, I had to say it a couple times for her to really grok it. I mean, she has some dementia. Right. Um, I love and at some point she went, <laughs> I love that word. Um, but at some point it, it clicked in her head and she me, oh, she's like, well, well, that's all right. But, but don't tell anyone. Mm. And I just was mad as all get out and was like, I'm telling everyone right now I'm on right Facebook now. and yeah. like literally pointed on Facebook, like a conversation with my grandmother reminded me how important visibility is. So just in case anyone doesn't wow. know this yet, I'm bisexual. <laughs> um, Good job. So it was, um, I mean, I wow. came back to that, to that conversation and sort of like, gosh, this visibility is important. Yes. I don't think that you can be a good elected official without being true to who you are. 
-hmm. and whatnot. And I think that if you start that process of locking parts of yourself away and being dishonest, I, I feel like that keeps going. So, yeah. so to me, it was really important to tell that. And, and I say that, and I don't really want to judge anyone who has kept secrets in harder times. Agree. But uh, I, think, I think, I think to be, Oh, yeah. I, well, I just think to be the best public official to be, you have to be true to yourself yeah. and true to your community. And I also went, you know what, if either way, me being out while I'm running makes a positive difference. Mm -hmm. um, and so I'm exactly. really glad I made that choice. Mm -hmm. The point where it actually solidified in the first time I, I talked about it on the campaign trail was, you know, relatively early into my campaign, but it was Bisexual Visibility Day and we had a campaign forum and I'm like, you know what? I'm talking about this. Excellent. Hi, y'all. It's awesome. Bisexual Visibility Day. This is how I feel. Or the, and this that's, is what, that's what we need. That's it absolutely is. what we need is people stand in our community standing up and saying, I'm in the community and, and not hiding behind. I think that's happening yeah. more and more often. I'm just, I'm really happy to personally know someone <laughs> who has done that. So thank you very much. It, it really is I, a I want to tell y'all a weird book into that story, yeah, which okay. is my grandmother is living with me right now. So we brought her in in April at the beginning of this pandemic and, and her dementia is more significant now. Um, but I, because I'm a little bit subversive and like to cause slight bits of trouble, um, started putting queer eye on for her, um, kind of. which she likes, she, like she Brilliant. loves to like obsess over it's joyful. Yeah. <laughs> like, she loves that sort of thing. Yes. And it's just so funny because what it turned into is like me coming out to my grandmother like weekly because she can't she remember last week oh, but <laughs> that's fine. but what she really encouraging to me is like how much better her responses are like you know, i walk in and she's like huh you know i just cannot imagine being attracted to another woman can you erin yes in fact i can grandmother you know <laughs> oh, she's like oh okay and then just moves on oh, so okay. even she's getting better it's like it's like it's become a part or, and I, I had a grandmother who passed from dementia so i i very much understand it's like it's become a part of her rhythm you know, like you've created that rhythm with her. And it's a story that she wants retold because it's a part of you and she wants to accept that and bring it into her over and over. I think that's really beautiful. Like yeah. you gave, you gave that to her, you gave her that gift and she's giving it back to you every single time she brings it up. That's like, that's very cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's really special. Sp speaking of gifts, you're giving us one or you've given us one by creating the caucus uh the first lgbtq i'm guessing q is involved in their uh caucus uh for the legislature was that right yes so um in the 2017 legislative session there were only two out lgbtq members of the texas house the 2018 elections were big and so in the 2019 session there were five out wow. lgbtq wow. members all of us women um three of us uh hispanic um two of us white i'm one of the white ones in case folks can't see me but um, yeah. <laughs> um and the other thing i think is really cool is two of us uh, myself and representative julie johnson from uh, up in dallas county we flipped seats and you know there's been this narrative in politics it's like oh you can't run in a competitive seat if you're queer you know you can only go run in a safety seat you can't run if you're hispanic you can't run if you're trans you can't run like whatever axis of not a white cis man you are you can't maybe you shouldn't run and and to me it's really beautiful how much we shattered that narrative yeah. as well to prove that we can be in competitive seats and show up and be successful um so we founded the caucus um, 
it's the first time this caucus has existed in the Texas legislature, and it's really a way for us to be present and have a voice and be included more formally in other conversations. Mm-hmm. Um, That's awesome. And it was, you know, it, it was a challenging session. It's almost always a challenging session. <laughs> right. Um, sure. But, you know, it's become political football to beat up on queer people in the legislature and use that to drum up votes in the Republican primary, which is really unfortunate. Um, and quite frankly, it's going to cost some members their general election seats. In fact, it already has. Um, my colleague Michelle Beckley beat Ron Simmons in 2018, who was the author of the bathroom bill to, that uh, targeted trans people. So folks are paying a price for this, sure. which is good. Anyway, I got off track a little bit, but I wish Lieutenant beating up on LGBTQ people, Yeah, well, <laughs> beating up on LGBTQ people is bad politics, and it's becoming mm-hmm. worse politics. Um, but wow. there were dozens of bills filed this session, and we stopped most of them in, in their tracks. We kept them from getting to the house floor. Yeah, I followed that on Equality Texas. That was brilliantly done. Yeah, we were we were very nervous that a preemption of local non-discrimination ordinances would come to the house floor. And that was the big piece that we, we managed to stop. Um, unfortunately, one bill did get through. Um, I call it the license to discriminate bill. It might have been, it was better known in the public as the save Chick-fil-A bill or mm-hmm. whatever. We um, call it hate chicken. We call it hate the chicken. The hate chicken. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. And, and it just was, I, I mean, it was just, it was a bill to say like, oh, we can't judge people for their belief on what marriage is. And it's, right. I, I mean, and, and, and by the time we, we modified the bill, we watered it down a lot to the point where it, it did almost nothing, but it was like this symbolic we've got to come here and say we don't like queer people on the floor. And, you know, we all, um, we dressed in rainbow colors that day. We stood up at the microphone together. We all took turns speaking. And, you know, one of the things I said is like, God, I just want this to be the last time that you symbolically hurt us. Yeah. Like, can, can we stop? Can, no can we stop? And I mean, I would be, re- I would be a bad Democrat right now if I didn't mention the moment we get a democratic majority in the Texas house, none of these stupid bills will become law anymore. <laughs> we will stop all of them. Yeah. Can you get, it needs to happen. This is a dumb Can, issue and that they should move on. <laughs> what about the abortion laws that are on the books still? The ones that are still on Texas books. I mean, like, so, so if Roe v. Wade gets overturned and we still have laws on the books, are those, what are those called? Trigger? Is that a trigger law or have I got that wrong? Is that the wrong yeah, term? Um, yeah, I think trigger law is the right term. You know, I, I've got to apologize. I'm not fully briefed on what trigger laws are in place in Texas right now. Yeah. I'm, um, I'm, yeah. I, we haven't, pa- we actually haven't passed some of the more extreme ones that were passed in other states in the past two or three years. You know, I mean, Missouri mm-hmm. did a really intense one. Um, Texas, you know, we had a heartbeat bill filed last session. It got a lot of co-authors, but it did not make it to the House floor. It did get locked up. And again, that's partially because it's an awful issue for yeah, the Republican yeah. Party right now. And they know that will be used against their vulnerable members. Um, so our challenge in Texas, you know, we get a majority, again, no more anti women's health care and reproductive health care in general bills will come to the floor. Um, but we still have to 
start to undo some of the bad work. I mean, we give people medically inaccurate information yeah, we do. when they go to get an abortion. And we passed legislation last session that makes it really difficult for um, local governments to partner with nonprofits that are providing cancer screenings and reproductive health care and birth control um, because, you know, maybe they share the name with another facility that also performs abortions. Right. Um, I, we, we've got a lot of bad work to undo. To undo the bad work, we're also going to have to make some gains in the Texas Senate and probably get a new governor. Oh, well, yeah. God yes. Only. Please, God. <laughs> so, so uh, is, is it possible, in your opinion, to go blue here in Texas? Oh, absolutely. Um, Tell me how easy that is. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> I, I was one of the lead organizers of the, le the Electoral College demonstration at the Texas Capitol in 2016. And that was such a weird thing. I mean, it was like I sent somebody with the Hamilton electors, remember them? Uh, like one email. And the next thing I knew, I was pulled into a Slack channel and told I was the Texas lead. Um, like literally, I sent one email to somebody who went by Jane Adams, you know, oh. which is clearly not their real name. That's brilliant. <laughs> and, and I'm the Texas lead. And I'm like... And it turns out there were like five of us who'd been told we were the Texas lead. Which was the whole thing. <laughs> uh, we, we came together and we, uh, it was about like seven or eight of us who ended up being the core organizers. And in the space of, you know, like 11 days put together this demonstration that had a few thousand people at it at the Texas Capitol. Um, and it was, it was wild. Um, but the thing that really stuck with me from that is, well, and I should say our mission was to beg our electors to vote for anybody not named Donald Trump. They didn't listen to us, unfortunately. But what was powerful is all of national media was watching Texas waiting for our electors to vote. Hmm. Yeah, they did some delay yeah. tactics and waited a long time to vote to see if we'd go away. Um, and so national media was waiting for Texas to vote because Texas had enough Republican electors to single-handedly deny Donald Trump the presidency. And that's been true of every single election in my adult life. Hmm. Shoot, actually every election in my life. I was born in 85, so I'm post-Reagan, just barely. Um, Texas has had enough electors to deny Republicans the presidency. So the moment we go blue, all of national politics starts to pivot around us because we are the biggest swing state. That's absolutely. That's and the trajectory is great. Um, Hillary Clinton lost uh, lost Texas by nine. Beto lost Texas by less than three. So if yes. we keep that trajectory moving, we are in play. Don't let anybody tell you your vote doesn't count here. It that is the absolute truth. That well, the that's absolute another question I had actually about voting. So should we trust it? I mean, we've got we've got Trump up there saying, you know, don't trust it. But then at the same time, he's sending ballots himself out to his own people. So I'm wondering if um, I mean, to me, it seems like he's trying to trying to sabotage it by doing this, by sending out all these votes and then also saying, you know, you of course, this is going to be crazy because we're going to have to count it forever. And all of these are fake ballots. He'd have a he could contest it. So. What happens there? The most effective form of voter suppression is convincing people it's not worth it to vote in the first place. Mm -hmm. And all of the confusion around how to vote and where to vote and how to vote safely and whether or not you're eligible to vote by mail or not, what, what ID you need to show up at the polls or not, all of that confusion is designed to make 
people who are younger, who are poorer, who maybe don't speak English as a first language, afraid to vote. The yep. entire purpose is to make people afraid to vote. What should um, we do if we go to the polls and he has some of his poll watchers there that he has said he's going to deploy? Uh, what what would I do, for example, if I saw somebody intimidating other people and they were Trump's poll watchers? What should I do in that situation? The Texas Democratic Party has set up a hotline. It's 844-TX-VOTES. If you see any issues with voter intimidation, call that hotline or any other issue with voting as well. Call that hotline. They will have folks on standby to help quickly. Um, what was you know, the number again? Yeah. Can you repeat that one? 1-844-TX-VOTES. Perfect. Thank you. Excellent. Thank That's you. Awesome. That's Thank good you. to know. <laughs> so, so I don't see any reason to expect major issues with votes being counted here in Texas. We will continue to have the same issues we have with folks being inappropriately asked to show ID. Um, we will have the same issues we always have with polling locations not being open enough, particularly in communities of color mm -hmm. uh, and on college campuses. Um, we will potentially have some issues with the mail. So if you are voting by mail, send in your ballot as soon as possible. Or if you're concerned, you can actually drop it off at your elections office in your county. Bring an ID to drop it off. But we, yeah. we're going to have this. We're going to have the issues we always have. Um, but there's not any reason to suspect widespread voter fraud or election manipulation. Show up and vote. Your vote matters. They are literally trying to scare you out of voting or convince okay. you that it doesn't matter at all. Don't let one. them. They are afraid of you. <laughs> Remember that and go vote. Yeah, they are. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Good, good. We are. Community is the power. Like. <laughs> That's right. Hey, do you mind if we just go back just for a second? Uh, I know you had um, talked for just a minute um, about the religious, the, the separation of church and state. Oh, yeah. Um, um, well, he literally, Trump has said a lot, made a lot of statements about religion lately. And, and just most recently, most frighteningly, he said that Christians will have the power if he's president, which he is. Um, that Christians will have the power if he is the president. So uh, this is a new um, threat, I guess, uh, to the rest of us. What, how, how, how do we stop him from using religion in, within the, the realm of politics right now? I mean, that's the, exactly this religious freedom bill, right? How, how do we continue to fight that, especially now with COVID when we can't go anywhere? What do, how do we do that? No, I, I think you're asking a complicated question because there's a lot of different fronts. <laughs> Front one is let's not let Donald Trump become president for another term. Uh, again, we flip Texas. He has no path to winning whatsoever. So mm -hmm. Texans get out and vote, go sign up to phone bank right now, uh, texasdemocrats.org have plenty of volunteer opportunities for you in your area. Um, but in terms, you know, I, I think it's a really complicated fight because I, I also think this, there's been this intentional fear of religious suppression drummed up among um, a lot of folks who are Christian. And mm -hmm. what's hard about it, and I've seen it in my own family, um, what's hard about it is folks who are Christian hold most of the political power in this country. Um, and 
I, I looked this up at some point. I haven't checked it since the 2018 elections. This is pre-2018. But it was something like 80% of members of Congress identified as Christian. Mm-hmm. I, yes. I mean, it's not a small number. And, and yeah. there's this sort of drummed up sense of persecution when what's being defined as persecution is generally just asking people to make sense or make a little bit of space for folks who don't share their belief system. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I absolutely believe in the freedom of religion. It is a cornerstone of our country. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolute cornerstone of why we are here and why we exist as the nation. Mm-hmm. And it's Agreed. something we should be careful to defend as a country. Um, and I, I think we have to keep calling out those mistruths. Um, you know, I've personally, through my office, been involved in a conversation with a constituent who is quite conservative, who has gone to rallies for Texas values before. Um, clearly somebody I disagree with on quite a few issues. <laughs> um, and she reached out to me and she said, there's all this tension between the LGBTQ community and Christians, and we got to sort this out. We got to sort this out. And, you know, we've been having conversations with her for a while and, you know, trying to be as gentle as possible. And I actually brought another really awesome queer woman from Austin, Mary Wilson, who ran for Congress in 2018 into the conversation. And Mary's fantastic because Mary is a minister. Mary is a believer. She is Mm -hmm. someone whose faith is very deeply important to her. Mm -hmm. And it's been able to help having these conversations that religion and queer people existing um, don't have to be fundamentally opposed. They really don't have to be. That's a choice some particular people of faith are making. And there are so many members of the LGBTQ community who are people of faith. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of members of the LGBTQ community, including myself, who feel like at some point they have been harmed by faith systems. And, you know, I think most LGBTQ community, most people in our community just want to be able to be who they are without being judged. And, um, don't have any desire to change anybody's religious beliefs. We just want to not be treated. By, we, we just want to not have people be jerks to us. But I, I think, <laughs> I think we just don't want to live under religious rule, yeah, which is, and, which and, is a real specific thing, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, and it's, it's very frustrating to have folks. I, I, I mean, equate, you know, being able to, um, or, or not being fired from not not being fired from a job and that right with like the right to say um, I hate gay people like I like they're not the same thing I'm sorry I'm rambling a little bit no no. no 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 that's okay <laughs> but, you know and but I there's think- just these wild false equivalencies I, and I, it's not persecution for somebody to tell you you're being rude right <laughs> yeah uh, no absolutely it's not and it's you know it's interesting because I feel it's like I have I have friends who are actually deeply religious identify as christian but are but are deeply empathetic compassionate human individuals who you know and i feel i feel for them i feel like they feel like their entire belief system has been you know sabotaged like like hijacked and sabotaged and they're constantly struggling to try to like identify to this love message that has been turned into just a fear message. A weapon. Yeah, a weapon, really, to be used against them. That's really, that's a good, that's really the truth. So it's like, I, you know, I, I have a lot of empathy for people in that situation because, 
it, it, it just creates, a, I think, challenge, you know, it puts the ideal of religious freedom in jeopardy for everybody, not, mm -hmm. not just people who aren't Christians, but literally, are you the right kind of Christian? Are right. you like this narrow kind of specific Christian? Because if you're just a little bit outside of that bubble, then you're also not, you know, like yeah. you're, you're also not being validated. So no, um, I think of something one of my colleagues said when we were discussing the right to discriminate or license to discriminate bill, um, Chairman Anchia from Dallas County as well. He said, you know, we can't use freedom of religion as a sword. It's supposed yes. to be a shield. It should. That's exactly right. That's that's well put too. I think that's but. the whole purpose of that religion is <laughs> to protect and be kind, not hit people over the head with things like your morals, and uh, you know, just because you're. But but my I have family who are Christian, and um, and I love them very deeply. Um, they're also going to vote for Trump, you know. So. Mm -hmm. You know, it's kind of it's 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 hard to tell just because you're a you're a Christian doesn't mean you're a good person, but it also doesn't mean that you're not going to vote for Donald Trump, <laughs> right? <laughs> so that's <laughs> so that's difficult. That's a difficult one. I'm so glad you came to hang out with us. Yeah, I'm I'm really glad I did too. This has been fun. You'll come back, won't you? Yeah, of course. Thanks, Aaron. It's been really great having you on the show for sure. And um, God, we're we're behind you like a thousand yeah, percent. Oh yeah. my God, hey. it was so great meeting you. You're incredible, and i we're pulling for you hundred percent. Well, thank y'all. It's going to be an intense thirty-three days. So I'll just remind everybody one more time: like, go out and help candidates right now. We need you. And what can they do? Yeah. Phone bank, no contact lit drop. If you want to volunteer for me, go to erinforyall.com slash volunteer and you can sign up right there. You can phone bank from anywhere in the world. Um, lit drop, of course, you got to be here in Central Texas. Are you on Facebook too? Can they find you on Facebook? Yes, we are on most social medias. I'm sure I'm sure the uh, the Zoomers have invented some new one I don't know about yet, but we're at Aaron for y'all on Facebook, on Twitter, uh, I think even on TikTok now. Uh, oh, Instagram. Wow. <laughs> y'all are cool. Excellent. Okay, great. Well, thank you again. Thank you so much. And uh, it's been a great show, y'all. Take yeah, care. Yeah, appreciate it. Talk soon. <laughs> You've been listening to Queer Invasion Radio. We're here, we're queer, and we need your support. So find us on Patreon or follow us on social media at QI Radio USA and listen to us wherever you hear podcasts. And don't forget to share our stuff and tell all your friends. Thanks, y'all. <laughs>